uh, near the Brooks Range in northern Alaska, and it's a beautiful area. Uh, it's teeming with wildlife, but it's inhospitable and uh, sparsely populated. And after a fishing trip, uh, they were cleaning salmon, and the visitor looked over and he noticed his friend had taken off his shirt and his back was covered in a blanket of gray. Jim, your back is covered with mosquitoes. I know, he said as he kept on cleaning the fish. Doesn't that bother you? No. That's crazy. How can that not bother you? And he replied, and I want you to listen closely to what he said. When I came out here, I decided I had to learn a different way of living. And part of my learning was to train myself to ignore mosquitoes. To ignore mosquitoes. A different way of living. And I'd like to suggest to you this morning, beloved, that's what we need to do. We need to learn a different way of living. We're living in a strange time. Our governor here in North Carolina just lengthened phase two, if you have not heard, for another five weeks. Things are not getting back to normal anytime soon, whatever normal is. But I need to remind you of a very important truth this morning. I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. Governor Cooper is not in control. Let me clarify even more. President Trump is not in control. Beloved, I want to remind you today that God is still in control of our world and of our lives. And during this stage of human history, where we find ourselves today, God has allowed us to be in a place that we have never been before and experiencing things we've never experienced before. Uh, in addition to the pandemic that we're dealing with, we're starting to see the loss of religious liberty in our own nation. We're seeing some very disturbing things, some very disturbing decisions being made, and churches literally being threatened if they meet for a worship service. The stage is being set for us to experience real persecution as believers in the United States of America. And with all this going on, in the midst of all these things we're experiencing, I'm convinced that God is trying to teach us some lessons. He's trying to mature us. He's trying to grow us. In fact, He's constantly doing that in our lives, whether we realize it or not. He's always at work making us more like Jesus. And today, I want to talk with you about one of the most important lessons we can learn. And this lesson will help us in life. It will help us tremendously. If you learn this lesson, it will change your life. And that's not just dramatic flair or, or, or just... Um, uh, making up stuff. That's the truth. If you learn this lesson, it will bless you and help you in a tremendous way. Well, what lesson am I referring to? Well, brace yourself because you're probably not going to like the lesson. Uh, it's probably not the favorite lesson you want to learn. But I'm talking about learning the lesson of contentment. Contentment. Now, when you think of contentment, you probably think of money and possessions. In fact, Lawrence James wrote more, more. If there's a single word that summarizes American hopes and obsessions, that's it. More money, more success, more luxuries and gizmos. We live for more, for our next raise, our next house, and the things we already have, however wonderful they are, tend to pale in comparison with the things we might still get. But can I remind you, beloved, that when it comes to contentment, it's not just about money and possessions and treasures. In fact, it's much broader than that. Contentment would include things like relationships. 
and circumstances and location and vocation and on and on. In fact, let me give you a good definition of Christian contentment. This is from Charles Kelly. I'll put it on the screen for you. And I want you to see what it says. Christian contentment is the God-given ability to be satisfied with the loving provision of God in any and every situation. The God-given ability to be satisfied. There's a word we don't hear very much. Satisfied with the loving provision of God in any and every situation. Uh, Roy Lauren added that contentment does not depend on what you have or where you are, but who you are. It's not a state of account, but a state of heart. And so I've got to ask you this morning, don't answer out loud, but I want to ask you a question. Are you content? Now, we just defined it. Satisfied with the loving provision of God in any and every situation. Are you content? I read about an office worker who didn't know that his boss was standing nearby and he was conversing to with a co-worker. And he said to his co-worker, if I just had $1,000, I'd be really content. If I just had $1,000. Remember, his boss is nearby. He didn't know his boss was nearby. But, but if I just had $1,000, I'd be really content. And hearing that, his boss immediately stepped forward, reached in his pocket and took out a checkbook. And he began writing and the man said, what are you doing? And the boss says, I'm writing a check for $1,000. And he said, why are you doing that? And he said, because I've never seen a truly contented person and I just want to see what one looks like. So he wrote him a check for $1,000, gave it to him, went on his way, and sure enough, as soon as the boss left, the man looked at his friend and said, I wish I'd asked for 2000 If you want to look at a contented person, if you want to know what a really contented person looks like, it won't cost you $1,000. In fact, we're going to look at him today. But I've got to warn you that he's going to look probably a little bit different than you were expecting. Someone who's truly contented in life. You're there in Philippians by now. I want you to find the fourth chapter. And I'm talking about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. Now, before we read this passage, I want to remind you that the book of Philippians... God the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write the book of Philippians not from Paul's yacht or from Paul's beachfront condo. That's not where he's writing from at all. Lawson summarizes the circumstances as the apostle is imprisoned in Rome, chained to the elite Roman guard who serve in Caesar's household. He's awaiting trial before Caesar with his own life at stake. So he's in jail waiting to see if he's going to be killed. Confined under house arrest and unable to move about with freedom. To make matters worse, the local pastors in Rome had become so envious of Paul's giftedness, they've resorted to a smear campaign against him. And to add insult to injury, he's forced to pay his own rent for his house arrest, Acts 28.30. He's not only under arrest, he's got to pay his own rent for his own house to be under house arrest. And he said, whatever could go wrong appears to have gone wrong. You ever had a day like that? Whatever could go wrong seems like it's gone wrong. But on our worst days, I mean, I want you to amplify that exponentially and think about that you're under house arrest, chained to Roman guard, waiting to see if you're going to live or die. How are you feeling at that moment? What are you thinking? What's your mindset? Well, let's look at what Paul says here in Philippians 4, 10 through 14. 
But I rejoice, Paul says, in the Lord greatly. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you've done well that you shared in my distress. Paul had learned a different way of living. The way of contentment. As I studied this passage and thought about it and tried to figure out how do I present this truth and I wrestled with it for a while, it finally came to me that I saw three things that became very clear that I want to share with you this morning from this passage. We'll call them the three keys to experiencing contentment. If you want to experience contentment in your life, we find three keys here that will help that to be a reality. The first key is very simple. In fact, you're already doing it. The first key to experience contentment in your life is to simply live. To simply live. What I mean is you have to go through some stuff. Look again at verse 12. This time I'll read it from the NLT so you can hear it slightly different. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Now you remember that Paul started out as Saul, Saul of Tarsus, the great persecutor of the church. And in all reality, Saul had it made in many regards. I mean, he was really somebody. Things were going really well for him. He was becoming somebody in the religious world. Saul of Tarsus. But as he's going to persecute the believers, the Lord Jesus met him on the road and blinded him and gloriously saved him. And he becomes Paul the Apostle. But the interesting thing is when you think about Saul's life, who became Paul... He had it a lot easier when he was Saul than when he became Paul. Now think about that for a moment. Before he knew Jesus, things were a lot easier for him. A lot better for him, it seems, in many regards. And after he met Jesus, things really got hard. In fact, let me give you some references. I want you to jot these down. I want you to listen to what Paul tells about his life. What he's experienced. Now remember right now, he's writing here in the church of Philippi. He's writing to them and he is is telling them that, I've learned to be content. Up or down, whatever, I learned to be content. Listen to what he experienced. 1 Corinthians 4, 11 and 12. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst. We are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Does anybody have that on your bucket list? I want to be poorly clothed, beaten, and homeless. He goes on to say in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 4, And we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure. 2 Corinthians, he adds this, chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulation, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. There's an old joke that goes around that most churches would not even hire Paul to be their pastor. He had a record. I mean, he's been in jail. And then we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 27, and he really kind of lays it out what he's experienced. He says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. 
and labors more abundant and stripes above measure and prisons more frequently and deaths often. Listen to what he says. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was, be- I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Man, we have a hard time that the tire goes flat. Three times shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often... Now listen, here's a theme. Listen to this theme. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. How many of you picked your phrase for the year? I want this year to be the year of being in perils. He concludes in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 27, in weariness and toil in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And yet he writes to the church at Philippi, I've learned to be content no matter what I'm experiencing. See, all of this living that Paul did played into contentment. There were highs and lows in Paul's life, just as there are highs and lows in our lives. And we cannot learn to be content if everything is sunshine and roses all the time in our lives. I learned something years ago from Warren Wiersbe, and I I never forgot the lesson. He talked about how God balances out our lives. He says, picture, if you will, you're standing there, and God loads down your arms and your hands with great blessings, but then there is a great burden placed upon your back. So you have burdens on your back and blessings in your hands. He said if only one were true, you'd fall right over. If all you had was that great blessing in your hand, you'd fall forward. If all you had were burdens on your back, you'd fall backwards. And so God balances out our lives. He gives us blessings and He gives us burdens. And He keeps us balanced. And He's teaching us to be like Jesus and He's teaching us to be content. Many years ago, some children in in the poor part of town they were playing in the yard and they were playing make-believe and they were riding an old log in the yard. And a man passing by said, Good morning! That's rather slow riding. Wouldn't you like a horse and a buggy? And those poor children looked at him and one of them said, Yes, sir, but we haven't any, so we're getting the most fun we can out of what we have. Beloved, that's what contentment looks like. Getting the most fun you can out of what you have. You see, that's contentment. Sometimes you're riding a log. Sometimes you get to ride the horse. Sometimes you're riding along in a fancy automobile. Life is constantly changing. And we have to respond to those changes. And the truth of the matter is, we like to be in control. We love to be in control. But we're not in control. And we can't control life. And if we're going to experience contentment, we have to live. We just have to live a life. We have to go through some stuff. Experience the highs, the lows, the blessings, the burdens, the good days, the bad days, the ups and the downs, the blahs and the blessings, all of it. You've got to live. But listen, that's not enough. See, because everyone who's alive right now is living, but not everyone is content. In fact, the truth of the matter is most people are not content. Because what's our watchword many times? More, more, more. And so there's a second key for experiencing contentment. Not only must you live, but you also must learn. This time we back up to verse 11. 
Verse 11, Paul says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I have learned. In other words, this was a process. It was gradual. It, it, it included the time that Paul spent living, but he didn't stop there. He added that to that living, he added learning. He learned contentment. Now, the question is, how do you learn contentment? Anybody here have a class in college called Contentment 101? No, we don't offer those in school. There's no class that we're aware of that we go and we learn contentment. And here's your contentment textbook and I'll give you a contentment exam at the end. So how do we learn contentment? Paul said, I've learned to be content. Well, listen, there's really a lot of lessons that culminate into the great lesson of contentment. In other words, if you're going to be content, you're going to have to learn more about God. You've got to learn about his person, his character, and his ways. You remember Paul's the same man who wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit these words, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And Paul understood that. And Paul understood that God is in control. And God uses something, beloved, called providence to bring about His will. I don't know how much you hear the word providence today, probably not a lot. So what does providence mean? Well, as one scholar said, it comes from two Latin words, pro meaning before and video meaning to see. Pro video, in other words, to see beforehand. God sees beforehand. Um, you know, God is transcendent. God is eternal. God is outside of time. God sees everything all at once. If you were to take your life and we pretend that your life is like a movie, God sees the whole movie all at one time. He doesn't start at the beginning and have to watch it unfold. He knows the end from the beginning. And, and it's, not, it's more than just knowing, though. Providence, beloved, is how God works in advance to arrange circumstances and situations to fulfill His own purpose. The great illustration of providence, one of the great illustrations of providence, is Joseph in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. One of my favorite characters. You remember Joseph had his coat of many colors. And his brother stripped it off of him and sold him into slavery. And you know the whole story goes up and down. And he's in a pit and he's in prison. And finally he arrives in the palace and his brothers come. And they're scared to death realizing, man, we've messed up and he's in power. We're not. We're in trouble. He's going to get vengeance. And he says, no, 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 no. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God sent me a head to preserve a life. And what God was doing was far greater than just among the brothers there. He was sending Joseph ahead to preserve life because he preserved the Jewish people and he preserved the line that the Messiah was going to come through. And all those circumstances and situations, God was in control of that. In other words, Christian, your life is not left to chance. God is working out the details and the steps you're going to take. You might be thinking, what if, what if I messed up? What if I sinned? Because we do mess up and we do sin. And we do take wrong steps. But here's what's awesome about it. Our God that we just sang about, great are you, Lord. He's so wise and so wonderful. He works together all things. He takes into account our sin, our mistakes, our failings, our shortcomings. And He still gets it all together to have His will accomplished. And I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me today to realize I'm not here by chance. I'm not going through a pandemic by chance. I'm not having to social distance by chance. I'm not here dealing with all this stuff by chance. I'm here under God's providential hand and He's working out His plan in the world and that includes my life. And I'm part of a bigger plan and you're part of a bigger plan. And God's in control. 
And Paul understood this, that even on his worst days, he could rest content because he knew that God was providentially controlling everything. Now listen, that doesn't mean that Paul liked everything. Doesn't mean he's like, woo, praise the Lord, another shipwreck. But he learned to praise the Lord in the shipwreck. It was so bad, I mean, he got out of one shipwreck, remember the story, and he's gathering wood for the fire, and a poisonous snake grabs onto him. He shakes it off into the fire. He doesn't die. See, your life is not by chance. God sees it all. God has a plan. And even those days, I don't know how in the world, how can this work out? God's working. I don't know how many of the great missionaries you know, but one of the great missionaries was David Livingston. David Livingston, he was an explorer. He served in Africa as a missionary from 1840 until his death in 1873. And pastors Robert Lewis and Wayne Corderio tell of an incident from Livingstone's life that kind of helps to say what I'm trying to say today. You see, David Livingstone, he was eager to travel into the uncharted lands of Central Africa. And he wanted to travel there to preach the gospel, to tell others about Jesus. And, and on one occasion, he arrived at the edge of a large territory that was ruled by a tribal chieftain. And according to tradition, the chief would come out and meet him and Livingston could go forward only after an exchange was made. In other words, the chief would choose whatever he wanted to from Livingston's possessions, and he would keep that for himself, and he would give Livingston something in exchange. And so Livingston, there he went by this tradition, if you will. He took all of his possessions, and he obediently spread them on the ground. His clothes, his books, his watch... And even a goat that he had that provided him with milk. And by the way, he had the goat with the milk because he had stomach problems. And the stomach problems kept him from drinking the local water. So he spreads out all these things for the chief. And the chief is going to examine these things and choose whatever he wants. And to his dismay, beloved, the chief took the goat. He took Livingston's goat. And in exchange, the chief gave Livingston a carved stick shaped like a walking stick. Now, I like the next part of the story because it encourages me. Because it says, Livingston was most disappointed. He began to gripe to God about what, it viewed, what he viewed as a stupid walking cane. <laughs> that encouraged me. Because sometimes you think about all well, these great missionaries. They're not human. Like no, they're human. Got a stupid walking cane. I wanted a goat. He's complaining to God. I mean, what could a walking cane do for him compared to a goat that gave him milk, help his stomach? But then one of the local men stopped him and explained something to him. And he said, David, I see they're talking there. He said, That's not a walking cane, it's the king's very own scepter. And with it, you will find entrance into every village in our country. The king has honored you greatly. Now, to David, he just thought, I got a stupid walking stick. He took my goat. But God had handed him a scepter to open the door 
for the gospel. And the man was right. God opened Central Africa to Livingston and successive evangelists followed him. And wave after wave after wave of people came to faith in Christ. And they said sometimes in our disappointment over what we don't have, we fail to appreciate the significance of what God has given us. I don't know what you're dealing with right now. I don't know what's coming to your life, what God has allowed to come into your life. Remember, God's in His providence, He's in control. He's working all things out. Even when we mess up and make mistakes, He's still working all things out for our good and His glory. And maybe you're standing there with a stupid walking stick right now. You say, I don't know how this is going to work out. But it may just be a scepter to open doors that you can't even imagine. Because God is at work. If you're going to experience contentment, you need to live. You've got to go through some stuff. you just got to live. But not just stop at living. You've got to learn. You've got to learn lessons as you go along. And, and you learn contentment. But there's a third very important key that you dare not miss. And it's this. You've got to lean. You've got to lean. Contentment is not something we accomplish on our own. God is working to bring it about in our lives. But to truly live it, we've got to lean on the Lord Jesus. And this brings us to one of the most favorite verses of a lot of people. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's a wonderful verse. I want you to notice where Paul said the verse, though, where he said these words. He's talking about contentment. He says, whether I'm living high on the hog or barely making it, I can do all things through Christ. If I'm humbled or honored, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whatever comes away, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can learn to be content. I can rest in God. I can know contentment. I can do it through Christ's strength. We've got to lean on Christ if we're going to be content in the ups and downs of life. You cannot make it on your own. I can't make it on my own. In our own strength, we're going to fail. We may give up. We may grow bitter. We may take our life. But we've got to learn to lean. The old song says, learning to lean. You remember that one? Learning to lean. I'm learning to lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. See, you've got to live a life for sure. You've got to learn things for sure. But you dare not miss this key. You have to lean hard on Jesus. Sometimes all we can do when things get really bad is to go to Jesus, cry out to Him, and do what we sing sometimes here, just be held. Just be held. Say, so, Jesus, I don't understand this. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why this has happened, but I, I'm just leaning on you and your strength. I've got to remind you, Paul was not Superman. He didn't just rip open his shirt and their giant S appeared. Paul was human like we are. He hurt. He bled. I, I'm sure that Paul cried many, many tears to his life. I mean, you think about all that he went through. But in each circumstance, in each situation, Christ gave him strength. Even, even when he wanted out from under things, God says, no, my grace is sufficient. I'll give you strength. My strength is made perfect in weakness. The truth of the matter is, as you live life, you're going to bleed. You're going to hurt. You're going to shed many tears. That's the reality. Had a strange thought this morning walking over to church. Don't know why. But I just had the thought as I was walking to church and I looked over the graveyard. 
I just thought to myself, how many trips have I made down this road to go to the cemetery and bury somebody? More than I'd like to think about. Because in this life, we bleed, we hurt, we weep. We can't make it on our own. And beloved, I would not even pretend to tell you or tell you that I know what's coming for us. Some of the things we see are downright scary. They're things that we've never, can't, can't really imagine that we're dealing with. And we, we long to get back to normal. We want to get back to normal. I mean, this might be one of the first times that some of you kids actually want to go back to school. You would, you would love to go back to school. You're sick of being at home. You're sick of Zoom. You're sick of all that. And your parents are sick of it too. They want you to go back to school. You want to go back to work. You want to see your friends. You want to play ball. You want to go and do all these things and, and get back to them. You want to come to church on Wednesday nights and play volleyball and basketball. Break in a new God God pit. Do all that stuff. And yet here we are. We just wonder what in the world's going on. And then people get sick. People die. There are accidents. And tragedies and car wrecks and cancer diagnosis. And then we look at people being threatened with fines and being arrested for going to church in America. We think, God, what are you doing? He's in control. He's in charge. He's working out all things for His, for his glory and our good. And, and we can trust Him. You know, Paul's God... He's our God. Paul's Savior is our Savior. The same Jesus that strengthened Paul strengthens us. And He's alive. And He's alive forever. And we've got to lean on Him. And I'm telling you, if you don't learn that lesson, you're going to be in trouble. We've got to lean on Jesus. The late George Duncan was a popular preacher from England. He wrote a number of books on the deeper Christian life. And he once told a story about a man that he knew personally who was wealthy. He was a very wealthy man that he knew. But the man only had one son. And his son was a pilot in World War II and sadly his son was killed. Eventually the old man died and since there were no heirs to his estate, his estate was going to be sold at auction. And an auction house in London was secured to handle the affairs and particularly the vast art collection that this wealthy gentleman had. And on the day of the auction, the auctioneer there placed a picture on an easel and he opened the bidding. But the problem was no one had ever seen this picture. Uh, nobody recognized who was in the picture. Nobody knew who painted the picture. It was, in fact, a portrait of the man's son. Well, the elite in the crowd that did had come and gathered for this wonderful art collection, they were there and no one bid on the picture. The elite in the crowd thought it of no value. I mean, we don't know who it is. Don't know who it's by. We don't want the picture. In the audience that day was a man who had served the old man for years. He had known the person in the picture, the man's son. In fact, he'd known him since the time he was born until the time that he died. And that old man, he bid on the picture and he won it. He obtained it. And the auctioneer stopped and said, it's now time to read the will. And the will stated that before any other artwork could be sold, that picture had to be auctioned off. A simple picture of his son had to be sold. 
Well, the people present there now relaxed and kind of got excited because it was now time to move on to the real art and the real valuable pieces that they could bid on. However, the auctioneer, he closed the auction. And he said the will further stated and stipulated that whoever got the picture of the son got the estate as well. And Reverend Duncan reminds us, remember, whoever gets Jesus gets the whole lot. Whoever has Jesus gets the whole lot. You see, beloved, the reason that we can be content today, no matter what's going on around us, no matter what's going on in us, it's because of Jesus. When we get Jesus, we get the whole lot. When we get Jesus, we get it all. And we can lean on Him. Three keys to contentment this morning. You've got to live. You've got to learn. And you've got to lean. Are you content today? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Before we pray, let me ask you, do you know Christ? Do you have Christ? You'll never be satisfied in life until you know Jesus. And if you don't know Him, you can know Him today. The Bible says we've all sinned, we've all failed, we've all fallen short. But God loves us so much, He gave Christ to die in our place. And He's alive and He's waiting for you. And if you'll turn from your sin and receive Him as your Savior and Lord, He will forgive you and cleanse you, take away your sin and give you a home in heaven and give you true peace. You can do that right where you're seated, right where you are. Just cry out to Him from your heart. In the simplest words you know, just say, Lord, I know I've messed up, I know I've sinned. I don't want my sin anymore. I want Jesus as my Savior. Come into my life. Take control of my life. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me your child. The Bible says if you really mean that, He will forgive you and cleanse you. That's the beginning point of satisfaction and contentment. That's the most important thing you'll ever do with your life is give it to Jesus. I encourage you to do it today. I know the majority of you listening to me today already know Jesus. I've had the privilege of actually baptizing many of you. Some of you have known Jesus for a long time. But what about today? Are you resting or are you restless? Are you complaining or are you content? Are you satisfied today in Jesus? Or are you hungering for more stuff or more power or more whatever? Or are you content today to say, you know what? I believe that God is in charge of my life. He's guiding my steps. And in His sovereign providence, I am where I am today. And I'm going to trust Him. And I'm going to rest on Him. And I'm going to lean hard on Jesus. And allow Him to do a work in my life like he did in Paul's life. I want to give you a moment, whatever the Holy Spirit's talking to you about, just just to pray about it right there. Then I'm going to close in prayer and we're going to sing together. But right now, just take just a moment and talk to the Lord. Whatever he's speaking to you about, you talk to him about it right now. Father, help us 
We like to be in control. We like to be in charge. We like to have everything go just so and everything to go well. We are immature in that way. Remind us, Lord, that you're doing a great work in us. And we can trust you even on the hardest days. Thank you for the way that you bring balance to our lives. You do load our hands with blessings even when we're carrying a burden on our back. I pray if anybody here today received Christ that they'll make it public. Tell someone immediately that they've received Christ and share their newfound faith as they begin to grow. And then, Father, for my brothers and sisters, help us, help us, God, to know that you're in charge, you are good, and you are glorious. We love you today. Thank you for strengthening us. Thank you we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We pray this in his name. Amen. We're going to begin a new song today as we close in prayer. It's a wonderful message. Oh, come to the altar. And at one point, the song goes, Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. I want you to stand with us and worship today. And by the way, after the service, I can minister to you in some way. You receive Christ. We want to help you to grow. If you want more prayer, I'll be up here. I'll have a mask on and we can talk. But let's stand right now and sing, Oh, Come to the Altar.